The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Counter, pre-draft episode. What is it, Wednesday? It's Wednesday. The draft is Thursday night. Uh, we're going to go through a mock draft. It's going to be fun. Maybe. I don't know. Are you guys excited about the mock draft? I feel like you're, you're trying to get us excited, and we're not. We're not. I, I, that's the beginning of every show, with me trying well, to bring excitement. I, I will say this. The uh, presence of all these mock draft simulators has made running through a mock draft incredibly easy because – you know, in the past, like when you would write one, you have to sit down with like a list of players and <laughs> try to make everything make sense. But now I can just read who's left on the board. So I'm not making mistakes and leaving players out of the first round who are definitely going to be first round. So, uh, you know, I think this mock draft took me like 30 minutes to make, which is definitely a record in my time writing about football. Yeah, that's definitely like an old problem I used to have. Like yeah. not only leaving guys out, like repeating guys too. <laughs> like, yeah, one guy perfect draft, like, fit for both of these teams. which i mean that's that's one way to like hedge your bets on your mock draft to get it more accurate like there's people that like advertise how accurate their mock draft is online which is like the most embarrassing thing possible but that's one way to do it yeah like i couldn't care less about that (laughs) yeah it's tough so uh anyway i'm chris corman uh joined by steven ruiz and charles mcdonald those are the voices you heard we're the, we're the NFL team for For the Win, which you may know if you're here listening to our podcast. Uh, we had a couple pieces come out uh, in the last few days that we will sort of talk about as the issues arise in our mock draft. Uh, we, this, we're incredibly focused on this number three and four picks, right? Like this is really where the draft starts. And uh, I, I've had just a hard time really thinking about anything beyond that because it just seems like there's so much – uh, pressure building up in those two spots uh, that, that that's really it's hard to tell how it's going to unfold uh, so we'll get we'll get to all of that uh, as we go but uh, Charles I need to know who is going to be the number one pick uh, Mac Jones quarterback oh, from Mac Alabama <laughs> yes yes uh, finally no, the Jags come to their senses right it's Trevor Lawrence I mean I, I don't really know what's left to say about this pick, this was done the second that they locked up the number one pick back in December. Uh, yeah. Like is not here if Trevor Lawrence is not available, so uh, that's going to be the pick. I don't think we need to spend too much time on that one. It was done like what two years, Stephen? When did you declare uh, Trevor Lawrence one of the best QB prospects ever? Like I don't know, after a few games of his freshman year, I think. I don't, was, I, like people were hyping him up after, especially after the Alabama game. I think like. I think it was uh, Mike Renner from BFF said some guy in the NFL had told him he would be the number one pick if he left after that one game. Right. So, yeah, he's been the number one pick for like three years now. So we're just been just waiting for the coronation. The number two pick, on the other hand, is a guy that nobody knew uh, at all going into the season, really. Uh, and I know we – I feel like we're outliers that we have like really serious doubts about this. I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm, maybe I'm just, it's a weird spot because it just feels like the fact that the jets are going to pick Zach Wilson has been accepted and dealt with like long before there was even time to analyze it. Uh, but that's what you have happening, right? Charles. I mean, there's no, it's just kind of weird that this 
pick for whatever reason has not really come under like any scrutiny right whatsoever like people are just they're here for the zach wilson thing they don't care that or, or not even don't care like no one's even talking about at least on like a big stage no one's even talking about his flaws as a prospect it's it's really nuts that this kid from BYU has just come out of nowhere and now he's just an unquestioned second overall pick moving forward and like we're just good with that I, I don't know it's just been kind of crazy to see like zero pushback against that from you know the majority of media members and it's like I, th- I feel like people are so eager to question a quarterback prospect and that just and it's so easy to do with Zach Wilson because one he has the one year he has the one year in a pandemic. He has the one year in a pandemic against a terrible schedule. And he's small. Like I know he's 6'2", which is enough for an NFL quarterback. But he's got like such a tiny frame. Like There's so many questions. And he had the injuries in 2019. He had multiple injuries. Torn labrums on both sides. Jeez. So it's, there are so many reasons to question him. And like for some reason, we're not questioning him. And there's, just, there's so many guys who go number two – uh, you know, as like, oh, they become like the heralded number two quarterback and they go there and like everyone makes fun of Mitch Trubisky, right? Like that is a thing that is just totally accepted. Well, he was the number two pick. And, like it was the same thing where he had one good year and people got excited and they just like, it, for whatever reason, it just became a thing that year. And now somehow, what, five years later, we're not, we're not learning from it at all. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, it's, it just seems... Uh, I, I mean, for as much money and time is spent on analyzing the NFL draft, and I don't mean media money. There's obviously like we're spending a lot of our time and money on this uh, and other outlets, but like how much the league spends on this, and it's still uh, they're still falling in love with Steve. You know, we went over in the last episode, Stephen bringing up very real concerns about Zach Wilson. You know, just mention the injuries, but just also the the situation. You know, just watching the film, uh, you're watching a, a year ago. Uh, he's playing against better teams and not doing quite as well, and then this year playing against worse teams and doing better. Uh, that's like a that's a pretty simple thing that should be taken into account. But and I just want to be clear. I feel like all of us agree that Zach Wilson is a first round quarterback. Mm-hmm. And that he- be taken in the first round and no probably top 10. The, I think what we're most confused about is how it's not a question. Like right. he's locked into number two and Justin Fields, for instance, is in, in consideration for number two. So I think that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's just been no debate about the pick, which is, is abnormal for any year pretty much. Right. Right. Cause he's, he's not RG three, you know, like it's not, it's, didn't put up that sort of numbers where it was so clear. Uh, all right, so let's get to number three because this is really where the draft begins. Uh, I guess there are reports out today that the 49ers are now picking between Mac Jones and Trey Lance. Uh, they're down to those two. Who knows what any of that means? Um, Steven wrote, I guess we published this, what, Tuesday, uh, wrote pretty much – the definitive uh, argument why the 49ers should draft Justin Fields instead of Mac Jones. And it's weird because I, I feel like we went, we went over this last week, right? And I don't mean to belabor the point. Like, I, I don't want it to seem like we're just uh, hounding on Mac Jones. But again, this, uh, like, all the evidence 
that we've looked at really uh, points to this being more of a conversation than it seems to be right now. Uh, and who knows how much of that might be smoke screens, but uh, Stephen, like you, you came away with this just convinced that that Justin Fields can do everything Mac Jones could do, plus he can do many other things that help a quarterback actually acclimate to the current NFL game. Yeah, and I I think one of the the issues is that maybe the things that make Mac Wilson or, I keep calling him Mac Wilson. <laughs> I'm like conflating him and Zach Wilson, but uh, that would be a good player right there. Yeah, it, would, it wouldn't be yeah. a bad player. But Mac Jones is like the pocket stuff, right? Like he can re- go through his progressions, and like you can find plenty of examples of Justin Fields doing that. And I did it, and I took him all from wrong, one game. Like it's not like you have to go searching high and low for these examples. Like they're everywhere on his film. But I will say that like I get the criticism that it's not consistent. Like there are plays where he misses a read. Right. And he's not perfect in the pocket. He's not going to make the right decision every single time. I don't think Mac Jones does either. And that's like the issue for me is I can find just as many bad examples of Mac Jones at the things he's supposedly good at, like it being in the pocket, making reads as I can with Justin Fields. But on the flip side, you can't find any examples of Mac Jones doing like the high level stuff that Justin Fields does that really only him Trevor Lawrence and maybe Trey Lance can do. And that's for me, like that should be enough to be like, all right, it's obvious. It's obvious that fields is the better prospect and we should take them because you're not drafting these guys for what they are right now. You're drafting them for what they're going to become. And if Justin Fields has shown that he can do the pocket stuff already, right. imagine what he can do when you actually, you know, coach him up to do it consistently. Like he's already producing at the same level as Mac Jones and Mac Jones is apparently advanced in all these things. Imagine when Justin Fields gets to Mac Jones' level right now, he's going to be an even better quarterback. So right. that's, that's really the confusing thing for me. Yeah, I want to go to a point that uh, might, might have got lost a little bit, but you looked at the 25, what is it, 25 first-round QBs since the new CBA was signed. So in 2011, the new... And not, it, wasn't, it wasn't counting 2019 just because... Right. They, questions. Right. They, uh, so so you were looking at the 25 that were drafted since 20, 2011. So the CBA cut down how much time uh, coaches have to work with players. And your theory here is that it, it really means that you can't develop QBs in certain ways that maybe you could, like Tom Brady. Uh, some of the things that he obviously needed to work on coming out of college, he had time to do that uh, and, and really refine his game. And that that 2011 CBA really changed the nature of what type of player you need to be able to, to be ready to step in and play quarterback at the NFL level. And the evidence here is that there were 25 of these guys picked. 11 have been given a second contract by the teams that drafted them. And only one of those quarterbacks could be considered immobile. Uh, and that's Jared Goff, who was traded uh, even before you know his extension actually kicked in. Um, and the way that you measured immobile is uh, you looked at their, their rushing stats from college. Golf actually averaged negative yards. Uh, that's because, and that's because sacks. Right, in college sacks. Yeah. Uh, but Jones, Mac Jones, is at 0.8 yards per carry on 54 carries. Uh, you know, the rest of the guys, like, they can actually run the ball. And that's, you think, a barometer of 
whether or not they can can make this adjustment. Uh, yeah, and I think like even what you said, how you characterize like what limits the 2011 CBA put on development. I I think it could be narrowed down to not just quarterbacks improving a certain type of quarterback honing a certain mm. skill. And that's like the mental part of the game. Like you're not going to be, you're not going to become Tom Brady mentally these days because mm. you're not going to get as many reps. You're not going to get as much meeting time. You're not going to get as much time with your coaches. You're not going to become Drew Brees. You're not going to become a Phillip Rivers. Like that doesn't happen or it doesn't happen in time enough in a timely manner where you could become this like bargain on your rookie deal deal, especially like the hope for Mac Jones, I guess is Kirk cousins. But as we covered on this pod, like Kirk cousins, wasn't good for four years. He wasn't really good. I don't know if he's good right now. Like nobody really knows. <laughs> like if that's the hope, like what's the timeline for Mac Jones is Kyle Shanahan even around to enjoy Mac Jones, you know, flourishing into this pocket passer that we expect him to become. I don't know if that's the case. And that's why I think this like concept of a pro ready quarterback is just backwards. And even like a low ceiling quarterback, like people say, people say that Trey Lance might have a low floor, but he has a high ceiling. I disagree. I think his floor is higher than Mac Jones just because he is like a physical freak who could throw the ball anywhere and run. So you could get a useful player out of him. Even if he never develops as a pocket passer, he's still going to be a useful quarterback because he can run he can throw the ball a mile. Right. Whereas if Mac Jones doesn't develop at all, this version of Mac Jones in the NFL is one of the worst starting quarterbacks in the league. So why is his his floor considered higher? I, I don't get that. And just like, why would you need to trade up to three to get him? <laughs> That's another layer, Tom. It, 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 right. Like... It, if Mac Jones doesn't go three, and we'll get to this later, like right. he he could fall like so far, uh, like like to the fringes of the top twenty, uh, even, and like if if they go up to three, that just to me seems like Kyle Shanahan is just if they go up to, if they feel like they need to go up to three to get Mac Jones, to me that feels like Kyle Shanahan is just kind of living in his own little world of delusion, he needs to come take a step back out to reality because <laughs> right. it, it's a little bit too far gone. Or maybe maybe he just sucks at quarterback evaluations. Like, that could just – it could be as simple as that. Yeah, see, what it, you actually what it feels like – what it feels like is Daniel Jones going six. Yeah. It's like if did, the Giants didn't take Daniel Jones, like how far does he fall? Yeah, that's a good point. Steven, you tweeted out today some, uh, some quotes from Kyle Shanahan about QB – evaluation and essentially he was saying he it changes uh, as he goes and there are a lot of different ways to be successful so he's not looking for one thing he's just trying to figure out if that version of a player can fit in his offense and he can be successful with whatever they do uh, and like yeah I we're obviously comparing like if we're talking about talking about it that way we're talking about Mac Jones versus Jimmy Garoppolo right and like Jones clearly does not have as good an arm as Garoppolo. Uh, and the one thing he might do is, like you've written in the past, that Shanahan basically had to lay everything out for Jimmy G. Like, he, a lot of times he only had to look at half the field, and he was just having guys spring open in front of his eyes and throwing the ball there, and it was that simplified. I mean, is it possible that Shanahan honestly thinks that, that Mac Jones can unlock 
his offense just by being able to go to a next read? I mean, is that? I I mean, I guess I, I guess that's the statement. Right. Kyle Shanahan would be making if he drafted Mac Jones with his pick is that he thought Jimmy G just wasn't there mentally. Like he, I feel like him picking Mac Jones is him saying Jimmy G wasn't smart enough. Right. Because like even accuracy wise, I don't think Mac Jones is better than Jimmy G. I think Jimmy G is just a better thrower of the football. Right. Whatever that means to you. Like, I just think in any way you can interpret that he's better at it. So it must be a mental thing. And then, but my thing in response to your question is you look at the heat maps that I, I included in the article about Mac Jones versus Justin Fields. You look at what the 49ers offense has turned into with Jimmy G at quarterback. And this is something I wrote about before last Super Bowl is that like they just throw to the middle of the field. Right. The perimeter and deep on the perimeter, those those just are off limits. They don't let Jimmy G do that, which wasn't the case with Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan's right. heat map, like the red was all over the field, whereas with Jimmy G, it's just right concentrated in the middle of the field. But then I included Mac Jones's from this past year in Alabama's offense. Right. It's, it's the same exact picture. It's Jimmy G all over again. Maybe he gets through a progression a little bit faster, but you're not accessing different parts of the field right. by going to Mac Jones. And I think with Jimmy G, it was more of a mental thing. Like, he needed everything in front of him. Right, right. With Mac Jones, it might be a physical thing. He doesn't have the arm to throw it out there. So, I don't even think you can expand on the offense, even if Mac Jones is smarter. And Uh, that's why, like, just take Trey Lance. Even if it's not Justin Fields, I think it should be Justin Fields. But if it's not him, take Trey Lance. And I will say the quote that you mentioned, it mentioned, or Kyle mentioned that, he's looking for a guy that can become an elite quarterback. Right. And <laughs> not that. that was a pregnant pause there, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, I don't think anyone will be surprised at who Charles has, has picked in his mock draft here. Uh, yeah. Uh, we're talking about the 49ers pick or the Falcons pick? Uh, 49ers pick still. Yeah. I, I went with Trey Lance. Uh, <laughs> Come on now. Like, <laughs> you, I, I, I definitely think that Kyle Shanahan is a little bit suspect in what he wants from his quarterbacks, but I don't think he's so dumb to trade up to three for Mac Jones. Uh, and, I mean, Lance, I guess if you want to still do the the where Kyle wants to be the quarterback and basically play Madden, then I think Lance like, – you can do that with Lance, but you also have just the insane – physical upside too so 49ers three trey lance i'm not buying mac jones at all i'm not that dumb yeah there it is i like it uh at four the falcons and uh charles has written we're gonna we're gonna make you wait to find out what he did here because charles uh, sort of traced how this is such a i mean obviously anytime a team is picking in the top five or ten in the nfl draft it's a franchise altering uh, pick, but this even more so for the Falcons. They're in such a precarious situation where uh, you know, they brought in Arthur Smith to be head coach. They did not move Matt Ryan. It was going to be hard to do anyway. But they they sort of they have an, an aging core that it sort of seems like they still maybe somewhat believe in. Uh, and so the question is: Are they hoping to make a miracle run this year? Uh, Charles has also written earlier this week that you know, about the Falcons potentially needing to trade Julio Jones. Uh, 
but, but we're waiting for a sign for the Falcons, essentially, right? We're trying to figure out what they're doing. They're going to need a franchise QB at some point. They're going to need to go undergo some level of rebuild at some point. But it's just hard to figure out when that point might be. Uh, and, and we're going to get some evidence tonight uh, based on what they do here. And, and the way you see it, Charles, there are basically three options. So why don't you take us through those three options before you... Yeah, there are three options that they, I think that makes sense for Atlanta. And I guess for Atlanta, they just kind of have to decide the uh, the team that they want to be or how they want to kind of shape this rebuild because the first thing that the Falcons do need to do, at least in my opinion, is they need to be real with themselves and be like, yo, this roster, this team is not close to being a contender. And that really sucks because you have a lot of bloated contracts at the top that are going to uh, not only affect what you can do this year or, or they've already affected what they can do this year by basically just having to settle for bargain bin free agents at every single position that they signed. Uh, like I'm not even sure if they really gave anything past a two-year deal uh, this offseason. Uh, so you already have like the cap laying down on this offseason, next year it's even worse because, uh, you know, according to spell track of what they're projecting the cap to be, Matt Jones, or Matt Jones, Matt Ryan, <laughs> uh, Grady Jarrett, oh, Deion Jones, and Jake Matthews, those four players are taking up 60% of Jeez. the Falcons cap uh, for next season. And I think they only have like 15 or 16, 17 other players on the roster under contract next year outside of those four. Uh and we always say, like, if you're going to do a rebuild, then the first thing you need to do is kind of, like, find a quarterback or be looking for a quarterback. And a really good place to find a quarterback is the fourth pick in the draft with a four-quarterback draft at the top, at least, like, where <laughs> uh, there's four good talents that we think can be long-term starting quarterbacks. So it's really easy to rationalize. Like, you're right here for the Falcons – you're rebuilding anyways. If you're honest with yourself and realize that this year and probably next year is a wash, as much as that sucks to kind of send Matt Ryan and Julio Jones out as, as losers for back, for lack of a better term, uh, it's just kind of a golden opportunity that they should really, really consider. And yeah, it's going to suck having a fourth overall pick on the bench for maybe two years, uh, just due to, you know, the fact that they need cash for players to actually get on the field. And, uh, well, I mean, that, that's, that's the main reason. Like, they can't really afford to not have, you know, a $30 million contract uh, on the bench. But at least it's like a good quarterback class. Like, you're probably going to be picking between Trey Lance or Justin Fields, and I don't really think that you can go wrong with either of them. It's just kind of up to them. And really, if we're being honest, it's up to Arthur Blank if he's ready to kind of turn that next page and, I'm not quite sure that he is. Yeah, to me, it seems like this pick is going to tell us if they're still chasing that 2016 team, which I think would be a mistake. And really, I think it should be like a simple question. And the question is, do you do you think you have a good football team? Like not a great football team, like a decent football team. And I think the answer should be yes, just because of the pieces they have on offense. So you're probably not going to be in this position to draft a quarterback next year. Right. Right. And then the next question is, are you one player away from like winning a Super Bowl or contending a Super Bowl? Are you one rookie away is a better question. And is that rookie in this draft? (laughs) 
And the answer is no. <laughs> Hell no. <laughs> so it shouldn't be an issue taking a pick on a player for the future because this pick isn't going to help you anyway. Maybe you guys, maybe like everything breaks right and Arthur Smith is the next offensive genius and they score 50,000 points. But I don't think this pick is really going to change that. Like I, Kyle Pitts, great player. And it would be fun as hell if they picked him. And I would not be mad about watching Kyle Pitts in that offense. But uh, Kyle Pitts isn't going to win you a Super Bowl this year. I mean, a rookie tight end is, is, is not the difference maker. What did the Falcons go, like 6-10 and 10 last year? 4-12. 4-12, oh, even worse. <laughs> He's not going to be an eight-game difference. So just take the quarterback. But I do think that Arthur Blank thinks, thinks that there's still something left in this, this core they have. And I don't know if that's going to be the pick. I don't know if they're going to do the smart thing and take the quarterback. Yeah. I would actually, I would guess that they aren't actually. Yeah, and that's also what Charles. Charles has them picking Kyle Pitts. Uh, yeah, you. There are no trades in here. Would Would you trade back? Because that was your other option, right? The three options yeah, are take a QB, I, Kyle Pitts, or trade back. Trading back makes so much sense, and I think right. just for, for the reason where, like, if you look at the twenty twenty two roster, they just have, that that alone should be stressing the Falcons out. Like they really need to consider what's going to happen to them next off season too, because like I said, the cap issues, as much as people go on the internet and say the cap is fake, the cap is fake. It doesn't matter. That's just, it's just not true. Uh, especially after what happened with the, the COVID cap hit. And, you know, if you try to go all in uh, on a, aging roster like the Falcons did the past couple of years, like this is kind of where you find yourself. So they don't really have uh, a lot of room to maneuver over the next two years. And an easy way to just get guys in the door with cheap contracts is trading down and getting more picks and, and kind of building that way. Uh, I mean, it wouldn't be exciting, but logically it's a move that's really easy to rationalize. Uh, and, you know, I, I guess like if you want to stay competitive now and also have, keep an eye towards the future, maybe trading down is like a happy split between uh, Pitts and a quarterback. But I do think that they're going to end up taking Kyle Pitts. I mean, it'll be a lot of fun uh, for a year, but I don't think it'll be that much fun in 2023 when they're catching passes from Gardner Minshew. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. oh, man. <laughs> hey, Matt Jones might be available by then. <laughs> uh, all right. Where are we at? We're at the Bengals with the number five pick. And we've actually we had this debate before, too. But uh, you ended up with Jamar Chase uh, over presumably Panay Sewell, the uh, offensive tackle from Oregon. Uh, what, what's informing your thinking here? Um, I mean, it just kind of seems like they're in on this, uh, Jamar Chase thing. I don't, I don't, I, personally, he's not who I would take there. I would take Sewell's just because right. it, it's, and for me, it's not really reactionary based on how Joe Burrow's season ended. It's like he might end up being the best left tackle in the league or like an elite player down the line. Uh, and I know that we're, putting more emphasis on receiver play, but I still just kind of find that to be extremely valuable. And not only would Sewell upgrade left tackle, but then you can move around Jonah Williams and Riley Reef to, to see how that ends up uh, playing out for you. But the Bengals, like they also kind of need an alpha dog at receiver. Uh, 
And I think that Joe Burrow is someone who would probably benefit from having uh, maybe someone who can go up there and win some contested catches and out-muscle uh, defensive backs. And obviously, he has a great rapport with uh, Jamar Chase from the time at LSU. So, uh, you know, I think all those factors might lean towards him being the pit. Yeah, I, I wouldn't discount Joe Burrow's influence on this pick, too, because he is like the Bengals franchise right now. And I, if he is lobbying for Jamar Chase – I think the owner and the GM would, you know, acquiesce. They would give him what he wants because he is the franchise. And, like, who does he have to, like, argue against? Like, the one scout the Bengals have? It's like him. There's only, like, three people in the room. So it won't be that hard for Joe to win the argument is all I'm saying. Uh, all right, Charles, what do, you, what do you see the Dolphins doing at six then? Uh, with the six pick, uh, I have them taking Penny Sewell. Um, I mean, that off the line is no good. Uh, and I don't think receiver is like quite as dire a need with the Will Fuller signing, at least for now. I mean, you could probably get away with Will Fuller, uh, Devontae Parker, and Mike Gisecki. This is like your pass catching weapons as long as no one gets hurt, which is like <laughs> an extreme if <laughs> with those three players specifically. Uh, but, you know, you, you got to do a little bit more to protect Tua. Their run game stunk last year, uh, and I think a lot of that was due to their off-the-divine talent. Like, you got one keeper, I think, with uh, Solomon Kinley, who was like a fourth-round pick. But uh, other than that, like, the rest of the line still needs a whole bunch of work. And Sewell is just a uh, day-one starter. Uh, they just traded some off of the tackle that I am – oh, they traded Eric Flowers, uh, so they kind of have a hole in their off-the-divine again. Might as well just take this guy – Put it, plug him in, forget about him, and then uh, with that second first round pick, maybe you can do uh, a little more damage to add uh, passing game weapons for Tua. And I would argue, like, if, if injuries with that receiving core are your concern, like Jalen Waddle had injury problems at Alabama, and Devontae Smith, like, weighs as much as, like, my niece. So those aren't really the guys you want to, like, Want, bring in for health insurance is what I'm saying yeah well, I want to know more about your niece them. though is she, is she how's her catch radius uh no nah, she she sucks at catching no hand-eye coordination whatsoever wow. I would not wow. her. slander of the niece jeez we've reached a new low I'd rather have Mac Jones on my team <laughs> uh seven Charles what do you see happening with the Detroit Lions pick uh, I gave him a receiver, and uh, this was kind of a pick just for me, really. Uh, <laughs> I gave him Jalen Waddle. Uh, I, I feel bad about condemning such a fun player to Detroit, but the the Lions, they definitely need some wide receiver help. Uh, they don't really have any receivers on their roster right now. That would scare you. Uh and I think that as they start looking at this thing long term, I didn't do any trades in this mock. Like if they could, if I was doing trades, that would be the first uh, the first move that I would make. But since they're here, let's just take Jalen Waddle. Like I think that he's the one speed receiver where the comparisons to Tyreek Hill are fair uh, because it's not just speed. It's the ability to round routes at full speed, go up and make contested catches, danger with the ball in his hair, punt return, all that like all that stuff makes him a really special prospect. And, you know, if the medical checks out, he's probably going to end up going within the top 12 picks at latest. So uh, I think that adding Waddle and and hopefully finding a quarterback down the road would uh, really get this rebuild off to a nice start. But I I think that trading down is probably where they want to be first because 
they have so many holes to fill out over the next few years. And not that you're making this pick for Jared Goff, who, who I mean, if you're going <laughs> like, who cares? But I will say this about Jared Goff. He can throw the routes that Jalen Waddell is good at running, like the uh, deep over routes and the deep the deep posts and vertical routes. Like, Jared Goff can do that. He may not be, like, the, the biggest thinker, but I think he'll at least get some good production out of Jalen Waddell. So it won't be too bad outside of being a lion. Uh, All right, let's go to the number eight pick. The Panthers just made a move, too. What do you think, Steven? This is a – look, I'm looking at Chuck's mock draft, and this is a – I feel like he he passed on a certain player just (laughs) just to annoy me. I can neither neither confirm nor deny. Yeah, that doesn't seem like Chuck I know. He wouldn't petty. Come on. He also picked a player from Northwestern. I'm giving it away. Spoiler alert. Yeah. I I gave the Panthers Rashawn Slater. I mean, I I think that Slater is really good. Uh, In this scenario, they ended up passing on Justin Fields, but – you know, I don't think that anyone will be surprised by the Panthers making a silly move like that. So, no, not at uh, all. Like, Slater, Slater's a good player, though. Just super good athletically, technician. Uh, I, he, even if it doesn't work out for my left guard or a left tackle, like, he's still got super hot potential as a guard. Uh, and it's not a sexy pick, but it's one that makes the Panthers better. Uh, and hopefully they can get, hopefully this is a step towards Sam Darnold having like the first average season of his career. And I, honestly, I don't even know if I want the Panthers to take Justin Fields at this point. It, I'm like one of those contestants on the bachelor or bachelorette with everyone where they're like, they're like opening up to the, to the person. And they're saying how like they didn't think they deserved better. And like, <laughs> like that's where I'm at as a Panthers fan. Like, I don't even think I deserve Justin Fields. We don't, as a fan base, we don't deserve Justin Fields. We deserve Sam Darnold for the next year. <laughs> uh, Sam Darnold, Mac Jones battle. God. <laughs> Poor Steven, man. You, you, you I'm happy at where Justin Fields ends up. You right. deserve nice things. Yeah. So the Panthers just traded Teddy, Teddy Bridgewater to the uh, the next team on the board, actually, the Broncos, uh, who are at number nine. And I, I have a feeling that even though uh, the Broncos – so, Charles, uh, you probably put this together before that trade was announced. Yeah, like literally uh, 15 minutes before. And, and I doubt that this changes – that the trade no. changes your what, what you have going on here at number nine. No. So, I, I gave the Broncos Justin Fields right. – uh, Teddy Bridgewater is not stopping you from drafting Justin Fields. Uh, but it does mean that Drew Locke would be done, right? Yeah, I mean, that's that's fine. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> Steven cares. He wants, he, he wants, there are many people that he's waiting to tweet at when Drew Locke, when the Broncos give, give up on Drew Locke. So. Uh, so, I mean, Fields, at this point, he's just uh, a massive steal on the board. And yeah. it, it just... It gives it gives general manager Dor Patton to get his own guy, a guy that can be uh like legit good throughout the course of his career. You know, maybe it gives you a couple of years where you're, you're competitive with the Chiefs, even though, you know, Mahomes is, is still Mahomes. But the current setup is just not good enough. Uh and they've actually got some pieces on offense. I mean, a lot of a lot of teams would like to have a young receiver duo of Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy, and then you got Noah Fant. Like that's that's a lot of fun, a lot of weapons, but the quarterback play is not going to maximize it. So I think that you need to take another swing, uh, take Justin Fields, and then you know I think you feel okay about running to a season with a quarterback room of 
Justin Fields, Teddy Bridgewater, and Drew Locke. You also have like an offensive line coached up by Mike Munchak. And like the more you list out the Broncos supporting cast, like you can't waste that on Teddy Bridgewater or Drew Locke. Like bring in a quarterback who can play. Like they have a chance to be a good team if like let's assume Vic Fangio gets the defense a top ten level, which I don't think is unrealistic. With those weapons and a decent offensive line, at least. If you bring in a quarterback who's like able to produce at a top fifteen level, like that's a playoff team. So yeah. don't, don't waste this opportunity, Denver. <laughs> Number ten, Cowboys. What do you got, Chuck? Uh, one with JC Horn. I honestly, I just threw a dart between Sertain <laughs> uh, and Horn. Uh, I think they're probably. I, I think that Sertain's a little bit better player than Horn, but. Uh, I think that these are probably two players that the Cowboys are going to be deciding between. Uh, they need any secondary help that they can get. And, you know, if Dan Quinn is going to keep running uh, a lot of man coverage, looks like he was right. uh, before with the Falcons, I think that J.C. Horn uh, makes a lot of sense. But honestly, either of them do, it, it, it just happened to be where the, the coin flip landed. Yeah, I would say J.C. Horn like kind of fits that Seattle yeah. style of – Cornerback, who they're a little more aggressive at the line of scrimmage. I think J.C. Horn definitely fits that more than Sertan does. And I think, like, upside-wise, Horn would be the, the player. Like, Sertan is, like a lot of these Alabama corners, they're already mostly a finished product. Yeah, he's really like, polished. Yeah, right, they're really polished. Like, Sertan is, like, really polished. The most polished cornerback in the draft. Right. But when you're drafting this high, you want more than polish. It's kind of related to the Mac Jones discussion. Like, you want... A little more. You want a guy that's potentially a top five lockdown type corner. I don't know if Sertan's that. I think his, I think his floor is higher and the ceiling is lower. But I think Horn would be the make more sense as a top ten pick. All right, number eleven, the Giants. Uh, the Giants need pass rush help, and they've needed it for a long time. I mean, it, it's kind of interesting. They've built that defense very much from the back front, and I think the secondary is probably in a pretty good space i think maybe you can definitely argue that they overpaid a dory jackson to come down but that pass rush is really lacking uh it's been lacking for a couple of years now I mean, you got leonard williams on the deal uh hopefully for their sake say he can re, re uh repeat that performance last year because if he doesn't that's really really expensive uh average defense uh, line to have but on the edge they they have nothing so i gave him uh Hopefully I don't butcher this. Uh, Michigan defensive end pass rusher Quiddy Pay. I think that's how you pronounce his name. I I, I still don't know how to pronounce it. I've seen him like yeah. forty times and don't know how to pronounce. It. Uh, he he's just uh, he's not like the most refined pass rusher. And to be honest, this edge this edge rusher class pretty much sucks. Yeah, but he's got a lot of juice, a lot of athleticism, and I think Patrick Graham is a really good defensive coordinator and. Uh, he just needs more pieces up front to kind of figure out how that pass rush can come. But I think that this would be a good landing spot for him as he starts to figure out the NFL. Number 12, the Eagles. Devonta Smith. Uh, they need wide receivers. And they yeah. were rumored for Devonta Smith even before that they traded back. So, right. you know, I think the, the weight concerns might drop him a little bit, but I can't see him dropping too much further than, you know, 12th overall to the Eagles. I wonder if the trade back was – a reaction to them realizing that 
the weight was going to be an issue because it wasn't like a thing that sprung up on us. Like we knew that this might happen during draft season. So maybe the Eagles knew then like we could trade back and get this guy. And I think it would make the most sense for them. Just they need a receiver. Like you can't set Hurts up to fail like that by giving him Greg Ward to throw to. Hey, do you remember? Do you remember earlier when you were explaining that you were a Panthers fan and you didn't felt feel like you deserved good things? Yes, other fan bases feel that way too, and uh, that's okay, why I feel like the Eagles are going to mess this no, up somehow. No, no, the Eagles fans don't get to do that. You guys won a Super Bowl like three years ago. What is this? It was not three. Was it three years ago? Yes, yeah, it was three seasons ago. It was so much longer. It's going to be bad. 13, Chargers. Uh, this one is this pick that I wasn't uh, expecting to make when I came into it, but then I started looking at the Chargers dev chart, and they are weirdly a little shaky at uh, cornerback for the long term. Uh I think they have, like they have to do Michael Davis, uh, who I think is solid outside of that. They don't really have any long term starters, so I know that they've been projected to take an offensive tackle a lot. Uh, but I didn't really like the value of taking, uh, you know, Alex Leatherwood or, or Darisaw here. So I went with Patrick Sertain too, uh, or <laughs> Sertain too, uh, the second. And I, I think that <laughs> <laughs> I forgot how to read. Or I feel like two is better. Like yeah, I, I like two better. I like, I like good, two better. Yeah. We'll call them PS2 if that works. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I, I just think that this fit actually makes a lot of sense the more you think about it. Uh, Offensive help is not like a dire need for the Chargers at the top of the draft. I mean, obviously a tackle or maybe even another weapon would help, but cornerback is probably going to become an issue for them over the next couple of years. So you might as well just take the guy who projects well. I think he would fit pretty well in Brandon Staley's defense. Uh, Mm -hmm. And then you, you know, have a long-term tandem of Sertain and, and Derwin James, if he can ever stay healthy. Yeah, I would agree with that. Like the fit wise, makes sense like they do a lot of like pattern matching type stuff like i mean every quarterback is versed in that now but i feel like the the outside of jalen ramsey the rams still had a very very good cornerback group that didn't get a lot of hype and that was like quietly the key to that defensive success so if cornerback is a weakness i think it's something they have to address if they want to replicate what staley did with the Rams. number 14 the vikings on board. Uh, once again, the Vikings need offensive line help. Like, I don't know when this hasn't been true. They've whiffed on a lot of picks, a lot of free agent signings. Uh, and here's another one. I, I'm with Elijah Vera uh, Tucker, offensive guard from USC. I hadn't heard of him until like a, a couple weeks ago, but I watched him and he's legit. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, athleticism, strength, football, all that stuff. So, you know, I, I think that when he – ends up sucking with the Vikings, he's going to be a great pickup for his next team. <laughs> how to coach offensive line. So that's where I'm going with the 14 pick. Uh, number 15, the Patriots. All right, Mac Jones, it's happening, right? This nope. Is it. This is it. Nope. Uh, Wait, he's the next Tom Brady, though. I think I, I just don't see Belichick being that interested in the Mac Jones. Dang. Like, I'd rather just run it back with Kim Newton. Like, yeah, And sure. see what happens next year. So this year, so I gave him a Zayvon Collins, a linebacker out of Tulsa. Linebacker is, I don't think it's the biggest need on this roster, but I just love the fit so much. You know, we all know Belichick, he likes those bigger, heavy-handed linebackers mm-hmm. like uh, Donta Hightower, Hightower, Dewan Bentley, yeah. uh, 
all these guys that have played from over the years. And Collins kind of fits that mold, except he he's he's a little bit flashier. I mean, he can blitz, he can cover, uh, he can really run like with the ball in his hands after interceptions. Uh, and like I said, he's got the physicality to come play downhill. So I, I really like this pick for them, and I just think that it'd be fun for Dante Hightower to kind of pass the torch of New England linebackers, kind of like the next evolution of them, like where you have the size of Hightower, but you also have the athleticism of someone much, someone much smaller. Do, do we think – do you think the Patriots could trade down and still get him? Because I see like a lot of reports about them trading up for Justin Fields, which I don't know. I don't know if they're going to do that. But – yeah. yeah. I feel like after last year, like Belichick watched that defense. It was like, good Lord, our our defense just doesn't work without linebackers. Yeah. And the defense was slow too. So I think like I, w- I could see him trading down in, in hopes of getting him, getting Collins. Cause like you said, he is like a great fit. Like that's a gr- the perfect successor to Dante Hightower. So I could definitely see that happen. I don't know. If, would they take him at 15? I don't know. Like I, I I, I don't know enough about the like, bottom half of the first round to say that, but <laughs> they can trade down and get him. I think that would be a great pickup for them. Yeah. Uh, all right, number 16, halfway through, Cardinals on the board. Who'd you give him? Uh, I give him Jalen Phillips. Uh, Interesting. This was, this, this was a really – he's a pass rusher from Miami. This was a right. really hard pick to make because I feel like the prospects on the board, like none of them quite aligned with – what the Cardinals needed and also where they were picking. So I kind of just took an upside swing on an edge rusher, which is like quietly going to be a pretty big need for them uh, in the near future. Chandler Jones is not getting any younger and he's coming off an injury season. Uh, Marcus Golden, he's in his thirties. JJ Watt's in his thirties. I mean, the, the, the core of that def- defensive line is pretty old and they just lost Hassan Reddick in free agency. So it's not like they have, you know, too many options back them up. So uh, I gave them Jalen Phillips. He's from Miami. He's got some concussion issues. Uh, I mean, he's got uh, some like play issues because he wasn't quite as consistent as his athletic profile might suggest. But the guy ran a four five or, or four four six at the pro day. Like that that speed actually does show up on tape. So it'll class with so many weak edge rushers, maybe you just take a chance on the athletic guy and just see what happens. Yeah. And I don't think like, like they need a second receiver, I feel like. And I would not outside of Rashad Bateman, who I don't think, I think is kind of redundant with DeAndre Hopkins in a way. I don't think they're similar players, but like where they win on the field and how they win. Like if Jalen Waddle somehow falls to them, I think that would be like exactly what they need in that offense. But, yeah, if you can't get Jalen Waddle or even Devontae Smith, I think you just got to take the best player available regardless of needs because they've done that all offseason, right? Like they've made a bunch of win-now moves. You can't just keep making win-now moves. Eventually you got to, like, make some moves for, for the next few years down the line. And I think it would be making a huge mistake if they just focus on winning right now. 17, Raiders. Uh, the Raiders just need anyone who has upside on defense. So I took, I give him Micah Parsons. Uh, Micah Parsons has some like real concerns uh, off the field. I mean, he was involved in allegedly some uh, pretty heinous hazing uh, at Penn State, which you can go read about yourself and 
is, is pretty disturbing. Uh, but beyond that, like just on the field, I mean, I just don't know. You know, like we, we talk a lot about a lot of guys as hybrids uh, in, in defensive, you know, structure now. But you know, Michael Parsons reminds me closer to like the, the negative connotation of a tweener, where he's not he's not really doing anything in coverage. Uh, yeah. But he's also not a full time pass rusher off the edge. He's just kind of like this auxiliary piece that thrives being a chaos maker for Penn state. And I had trouble kind of like placing value on that, but the Raiders just, they have no juice on defense whatsoever. Uh, and even if Parsons doesn't quite have like a defined slot on the NFL defense right now, he's still someone that the Raiders could use just in a way to try to generate more negative plays. And from like what I've heard of him, I haven't really watched him is that like, he can actually, exist in the box like he can survive in the box and make plays against the run whereas like and as isaiah simmons last year that was really the concern with him was like can he be a full-time nfl linebacker and take on blockers where based on what i've read like parsons has that part of his game down at least yeah it's just the the coverage stuff like he right. wasn't really asked to do that which is kind of a red flag right yeah need to do that in the nfl 18 dolphins back in the clock uh, I gave the Dolphins a uh, more offensive help here. Went with old Miss receiver Elijah Moore. Uh, I just think he might be the best receiver on the board uh, at this point. And you know, I, I think Tua is someone that needs someone that can generate separation for him, just because his arm strength isn't that good. So uh, I I think that Moore would be a pretty good fit. And now you're talking about Parker, uh, Moore, Fuller. That and Sewell from they got early in the draft, like that's a pretty good core to try to figure out how good two ways exactly. All right, yeah, like more more would be like would fit in with what that receiving core already is. Whereas like Rashad Bateman would kind of be redundant with Devontae Parker on the outside, and then you have the deep speed guy and Will Fuller. You, you need that slot, and I think Elijah Moore is like the best one in this class. I know Kadarius Tony. A lot of people are high on him, but I just – he's got a lot of work to do. And I don't know if I trust the Dolphins coaching staff to do that work for him. Number 19, the football team. Here it is. McCorkle Jones. He's here, baby. Uh, after the 49ers came to his senses and picked Trey Lance over uh, Mac Jones, Mac Jones surprisingly did not have many suitors uh, in this mock draft. I and mean, he slid all the way down to 19 uh, for the Washington football team. Uh, this – to me, like, if, if I was running Washington, I would have made a trade up already to try to get uh, Justin Fields to Trey Lance. Uh, it seems like they're going to stay put for now. Maybe they make a draft day trade to move up. But uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick and Taylor Heineke are not the future. I think you could argue that Mac Jones probably is not the future either, but at least he's young and gives you a chance. And honestly, he just kind of seems like a quarterback that Ron Rivera would like. And that's all I got. I, I mean, I agree with that. <laughs> Ron Rivera once benched Cam Newton for not wearing a tie on a plane to a game. Yeah. Like, Ron seems to just want a quarterback that does nothing and just hands the ball off. <laughs> it would be interesting to have Mac Jones living in the same area as, as me. <laughs> I don't know, man. He might end up playing uh, basketball at the same place as you at the Garden. 
that probably won't be that hard to stay in front of Oh, wow. Go around them. I'll say that. (laughs) Uh, All right. Where are we now? We're at 20. Uh, Getting toward the back end of the first round. Kind of go through these ones quickly. Since we've we've got the Mac Jones. We've got the important guy. So, Uh, Uh, Bears at 20. 20th, not a sexy pick. Uh, I give him Christian Derrissaw off of the tackle from Virginia Tech. I mean, they... this team is just so poisoned beyond belief. <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't, I don't think at this point with the way the board has fallen, I don't really think that there's any pick that they can make that would help them uh, in a meaningful way for the 2021 season. I mean, that, that roster is maxed out and it's not good, uh, but they do need offensive line help. They do need a tackle. So Derisaw, I'm sorry, but you're head to Chicago, buddy. If you got, I got if you got Andy Dalton on your roster, you got to protect him. That's all. Yeah, right. I got a question though. If you let's say Mac Jones gets past Washington to the Chicago, take him if he's on the board. And is Chicago better with Andy Dalton starting or Mac Jones starting? Um, I think they might take him. I don't. I think they might be better off with Andy Dalton starting at least as it revolves around uh, Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy. Uh, I think that. Andy Dalton's a much better situation than Mac Jones, uh, but it doesn't really matter either way. Like this, this thing is dead in the water. I'm just honestly surprised that they brought everyone back for one more year. Uh, Colts at 21. Uh, Colts, another unsexy pick, but a pick that I actually like. I uh, gave him Alex Ludlerwood, uh off of the tackle from Alabama. Uh, this guy is like, he's not the most refined player, but. You like you just gotta watch him move like on some of these Najee Harris runs. Like the guy is just an absolute powerhouse athlete. Yeah. Uh, he, he he's he's a freak. So I think that that's someone. If you're looking at late first and you need a left tackle prospect, you know, let's just take the boom and bust guy that played for a quasi NFL program uh, in Alabama, and then uh, we'll just hope that he kind of figures this out in that plane next to Quentin Nelson. You know, speeds up his progression uh, over the next couple of years. Right, twenty-two Titans. Caleb Farley, cornerback from Virginia Tech. I know he's got some serious back issues, but uh, the Titans need a cornerback almost as, like pretty much as badly as anyone uh, in the league. And at this point, I'm, I'm here for an upside swing with Farley if he can get healthy. Which you know, I, I say this as someone who has a bad back myself. It's really, really hard to get. Uh, a bad back to being healthy again. But if he can figure that out, the upside is just through the roof. And not just the upside, but, like, he's a high floor player, basically the prototype for what you're looking for in NFL quarterbacks. It's just the the back situation is so bad. But they need someone out there that can break up a pass and get an interception. They don't really have, like, anyone like that on their roster right now. So uh, I give him Caleb Farley, and I, I think you just take that dice one and hope it works out for you. And if Farley plays like two games, he, he will have been an improvement on last year's first round pick. Yep. That's will very true. Uh, yeah, true. 23 Jets. The Jets, I gave them uh, Tevin Jenkins off into tackle out of Oklahoma State. I mean, you got Zach Wilson. The one thing that he's used to is time in the pocket. And I think that a bookend of Makai Becton and Tevin Jenkins, and then you can kick, maybe you can kick George Fant into one of the guards or have Tevin Jenkins play guard for a year. I think that that's just a really, you know, it's not a great situation for Zach Wilson, but it's a better one 
than he was stepping into when he was picked at two here in this mock draft. So uh, Tevin Jenkins is a really solid player. I think he's a pretty seamless fit in the offense that they're about to run. Uh, a lot of outside zone for the 49ers, or excuse me, for the, for the Jets. The, they hired uh, the old 49ers guy. And, uh, you know, you finally got a couple of pieces on offense with Zach Wilson, Beckton, and then Jenkins and, and Mims to kind of grow long term with. Uh, who are we up to? 24, Steelers. Uh, with the Steelers, I gave them Creed Humphrey, the uh, interior offensive lineman from Oklahoma. I know a lot of fans are clamoring for a running back, but I just don't think that that's exactly what they need. I mean, the problem is like the offensive line just wasn't very good, and right. uh, they got old in a hurry, and uh, you just kind of need someone to come and replace that. You know, Marquise Pouncey's gone. Uh, Alejandro Villanueva has gone to left tackle. No matter who you put back there at running back, that's not a great situation to be in. So, you know, start rebuilding that, that offensive line brick by brick. And Creed Humphrey is just an insane athlete. Like, he's going to end up being one of the most athletic interior offensive linemen in the league right away. Uh, and that's just kind of what they need to, uh, to get this thing on back on track and hopefully try to maximize whatever you can out of Big Ben this last year. 25, Jags. Back on the clock? Uh, Jags back on the clock. This is uh, the first team, I think, to not double dip on offense that has like a a young rookie quarterback and two first-round picks. But I gave them uh, Christian Barmore from Alabama, really just because this defense is awful. Uh, And he was the best defensive player on the board, I thought. So Taven Bryan, I don't think he's going to be here after his contract expires. And you still have a hole, a defensive tackle anyway. So... Take Barmore, he's got insane upside as a pass rusher. Uh, and, you know, it, this defense is not going to be fixed in a year or two years, maybe even three years. But, you know, adding Barmore with some of the players that they signed this offseason would be a nice start. And I feel like if you're, you're going to do the Ravens thing defensively, like the Ravens never were really looking for premium edge rushers, but they did always have, they always have talent on the interior. So this makes sense, and I think Urban Meyer has made comments about wanting to build the defense front to back. Hmm. Uh, yeah, twenty six Browns. Uh, I give him Greg Newsom the second uh, out of Northwestern, right? And just because I feel like Andrew Barry is going to end up targeting like positions of high value uh, mm-hmm. in the first round. Uh, I know we only have one draft to go off of, but I, I just feel like he's someone that seems to understand where the value points are in terms of roster building and positional value. And obviously corner is a high impact position. So uh, you add him and then that cornerback room is looking like pretty nice. Uh, yeah. Assuming everyone can stay healthy. You got Denzel Ward, uh, who is one of the better cornerbacks in the league. Uh, Troy Hill, who they signed over from the Rams. Uh who I mean, who had a who like the like the rest of their cornerbacks last year in Los Angeles had a great year. Uh, Greedy Williams, uh, who's still a high upside prospect, and then you have uh, Greg Newsom now, and then you pair that with Grant Delpit, who's coming back from injury last year, and then John Johnson, who they signed in free agency. Like that, that secondary is is looking yeah. looking yeah. kind of good, or, or at yeah. least you know you can do a lot of things with that. So uh, I think Andrew Barry is going to take continue taking uh, high-impact positions, and Newsom will fit pretty well in that secondary, I think. And Newsom, Newsom's a player I really liked when I watched him. I thought he was 
of the guys that played a lot of zone, he was the one that was most active at the catch point. Like he did the best job of, of squeezing those routes and get and making a play on the ball. And I will say this, like the concern with him, I think is that he's undersized, which is going to be a problem in the run game, but this is the same team that drafted greedy Williams. And that's the reason why greedy Williams dropped was because he couldn't tackle and he, he wasn't interested in playing against the run. So maybe the Browns are a team that, you know, will look past that issue and focus on the strengths. 27, first of two Ravens picks. Uh, give him a Z's Oludarly, uh, Ojulari, I mean, uh, just because they really need uh, edge depth That's or shit. edge starters. And they lost uh, Judon and Ngakwe to free agency this year, which is fine, but you got to replace them. And I, I don't think that Ojulari is a great pass rusher, but like, if you just kind of watch him play, and sometimes you just see a guy and you're like, all right, you know, this guy would be a great fill in the Ravens. He's just tough, hard to nose, disciplined, uh, especially versus a run. Not the best pass rush in the world, but you got one of the most creative defensive minds in the game that can figure out how to scheme up a pass rush. So, uh, you know, Odulari, maybe not the best edge out there, but he's someone that fits nicely in Baltimore. And at this point on the board, there aren't really too many options left. Yeah, that's like that sounds like the perfect Ravens edge prospect. To me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, like if you if you if you want to watch uh, an Ojulari Ravens play, just go watch the Alabama game. That three hundred sixty pound guard that Alabama has is in the draft this year, Deontay Brown. He's coming on a puller, and he has legit a hundred pounds on Ojulari, and Ojulari just shoulder pads and chest stands him up, and then gets rid of him. It, it's like he, for his size of like 250 pounds, he's really, really strong. I feel like uh, pick 28 uh, for the Saints here is another like uh, culture fit, like a guy that you watch and play and think, okay, he could he could fit with the Saints. Yeah, I, I wanted to give him a cornerback because I think they need one, but I didn't really see one that kind of fit at this point. So I, I just went with something to make you know, James Winston or Taysom Hill, whoever the hell is playing quarterback this year, make the left a little bit easier. I went with Rashad Bateman because, you know, outside of Michael Thomas, and maybe Bateman is a little redundant with Thomas, uh, but maybe, I don't know. But they, they just needed a lot more depth from the wide receiver room last year, and it was really lacking at times when Michael Thomas was, was not out there. So uh, Bateman, I think he's probably one of the best players on the board, and Pretty much like any position that's not offensive lineman or running back should be in play for the Saints with their pick. So uh, I just went with the best player that I thought was left on the board, uh, which was Rashad Bateman. Uh, 29, Packers. Uh, the Packers like, gave him a receiver. Terrace Marshall Jr. Mm-hmm. Um, he, like, he's, he's explosive and athletic. Uh, and I just think that as you're trying to, to – move through the back end of Aaron Rodgers' career. And, you know, they said that he's going to be there for the foreseeable future. Uh, just take players to make his life easier. And right. they've needed a number two receiver, like a super stud receiver across from Devontae Adams for a while now. And, you know, with the way that Matt LaFleur and Rodgers kind of had this offense humming, I think that Marshall be a nice fit. And uh, having – Devontae Adams across from him will definitely speed up how quickly he can make an impact on the field for them. Yeah, he's super young, too. He's he's one of the younger, more raw prospects. And I, I think he's like a receiver that fits well with Aaron Rodgers, like who likes yeah. to throw like those back shoulder fades a lot. And 
one thing Marshall did well last year was contested catches, and he has like a a big catch radius. I think he was he had yeah I'm looking at it right now 82 percent contested catch rate per PFF. So I think that's a good fit for Rogers particular. Thirty to Bills. Uh, this one's just to indulge Bills fans here. Uh, <laughs> we don't of, do that around here. Kind of you, yeah. Uh, well, we antagonize well, partially, partially, partially. Give a quarterback. Uh, <laughs> so I gave the Bills Najee Harris. Personally, I don't think that taking a running back in the first round is going to fix their woes. Uh, but Bills fans, and I think this is due to my buddy uh, Marcel, uh, who covers the Bills for ESPN. They seem to be fixated on getting like Travis Etienne. But Marcel is also like a, a low key Clemson fan too, so I don't really know like, what's going on there. Uh, you just, did you just question your friend's credibility? Yeah, that's right. I did, and I'll do it again. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm gonna tag him. I'm gonna tag him when I tweet this out. Uh, so I just give him Najee Harris. Uh, I think it'll be fun to watch Najee. You know, someone that gives Josh Allen like legit pass catching app uh, option out of the backfield, but. I'm just not sure if this is where they need to go, but you know, if you're going to keep making life easier and easier for Josh Allen, and as you deal with some of the regression from that offense last year, which I think is just kind of like inevitable, uh, having someone like Najee Harris to lean on is, is going to be nice. And he's he's a good player, you know. It's just the whole to take a running back in the first round thing, which don't really feel like going over again. Uh, number 31 the Ravens with the pick they got from trading uh, Orlando Brown to the Chiefs Phil yeah we we gave Lamar Jackson some help here so we went with uh, or I guess I did went with uh, Landon Dickerson uh, interior off the line from Alabama if he's healthy I think that this is a pretty easy first round guy Uh, just I mean dude just go watch some of the stuff that he's doing like these outside zone plays, like with him and Leatherwood on um, some of these run blocking plays, and it, it just looks so easy for them. So, uh, I think if you're looking at an offensive line that has Dickerson and Stanley on it for the foreseeable future, uh, with Zeitler in it for the short term, like that's a, a pretty good spot to be in compared to where they were last year. And they lost, uh, I'm pretty sure Matt Skura, their center, is not on the team anymore. Uh, yeah, he's with the Dolphins now, so that that's a, a big hole anyways. And this is a pick they should have made last year, to be honest. Like, they needed a guard in the worst way. Yeah. For some reason, they just didn't address that need. Yeah, Marshall Yonda leaves your team, it'll be fine. Right. They, they, like, the, offensive, the interior offensive line is the reason they lost that Titans game. Like, I know people want to, like, blame it on Lamar Jackson for whatever reason, but the offensive line just got dominated in that game. And the fact that they didn't address it, like, because teams always – don't they – like, teams seem to overreact to the games that end their season. The Ravens didn't do that, which probably is a smart thing. But in this case, it wasn't. And their offensive line was a problem again. So they need to fix that. And I think that that helps fix the offense maybe even more so than drafting a wide receiver who, you know, like wide receivers – rookie wide receivers are so hit or miss. So I think this might actually help Lamar than drafting a receiver. 32. Final final pick of the round. Buccaneers. Uh, final pick. Uh, I went with Carlos Basham. Uh, pass rusher out of Wake Forest for Tampa yeah. Bay. I mean, they don't really have too many needs, but uh, <laughs> like a young pass rusher never hurts. And like, who knows how long JPP is going to keep playing there. And even just some Shaq Barrett, some Shaq Barrett's insurance. I mean, they just 
as things look right now, and I'm a little wary of their decision to just literally run it back with the same exact team. As of now, they don't really have any holes, but that could change in a very short amount of time. So I just gave them pass rusher. Yeah, that changes when you have a veteran team. Like those holes open up in a hurry. In a hurry. I feel like Basham like kind of fits their profile of pass rusher that they've gone after. Like he, I, I think he like blew up his pro day. And yeah. like they seem to go for those athletes. Like who was the? I'm forgetting his name. Was it Noah Spence? The guy that Noah, he yeah Noah Spence. Yeah, he was kind of in that similar you know vein. And then like Shaq Barrett obviously is a guy that broke out for them. So I think like that makes sense. This pick. Yeah. All right. So the question is, how many of these are we sure of? Two. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> how many are you gonna get right? How right is your mock draft? I th- you know, I'm gonna call my shot for four right right now. Lawrence Wilson, Pitts, Chase are the ones I'm gonna put in, in stone right now. And like it's, it's like like mock draft accuracy is like golf for me. Like the the, the <laughs> impossible. The, the more you get wrong, the better. Yeah, <laughs> nerd. If you get more than like five right. <laughs> <laughs> wow i didn't know i didn't think you could find a way to just slander some athletes in another sport but you did it just brought it in there it's good. yeah it's good all right well join us uh so thursday night we will be uh live grading each pick as it comes uh so find us at for the win ftw.usatoday.com on twitter uh at the Steven Ruiz at Forberts and at Chris Corman. Uh, and then Friday, we're going to do the podcast live on video because uh, there's been a lot of demand to see Steven. Um, people want to know what he looks like. Uh, and of course, you know, Charles and I will be there too. Uh, I'm going to get my cat involved. Yeah. Is you, you, do you think your cat will stop by? Uh, probably not. The real, question, the real question is, are you going to be in the closet? No, no, no. I don't. I only record. I'm not in the closet right now. Okay. We didn't record today in the closet. I'm no. actually in my in my bed. You have committed. Look forward to that Friday, everybody. But uh, that's going to be at noon on Friday. We will tweet out the link to that to find it on the For the Win Facebook and YouTube and all of those places. Uh, what else we got coming? Steven, you still got a few QB ranking type things. Uh, yeah, I'm doing quarterback rankings, and I'm going to include like one play that sums up each quarterback prospect. And when I say each quarterback prospect, I'm only doing the five. I'm not doing <laughs> anything about Kyle Trask or – or, or Davis Mills or Kellen Lott. It's amazing how we've just totally erased uh, the rest of the QBs in this entire class. But like I, I spent hours watching and writing about Jacob Eason last year, and it's just yeah. like, why? He's never, never going to think about him. Again. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, thanks for joining us. Uh, we will talk to you Thursday night. Should be interesting. We'll see if. Uh, Charles lives up to his promise uh, and then we'll have grades for each of these picks and write about anything else that happens. You never know. It's the NFL draft. So could get nuts. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you next time. The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports.